Welcome to Security Architecture Podcast, where we help cybersecurity professionals to stay ahead of the curve and ensure they are successful in their cybersecurity journey. Hi, I'm Vianney. Hi, I'm Dimitri. We have here Alex from Twingate. Alex, can you please introduce yourself and the company? Yeah. Hey, guys. Like, Really nice to talk to you. My name is Alex Marshall. I'm the Chief Product Officer and one of the co-founders of Twingate. Uh, Twingate uh, just launched this year and is a zero-trust uh, network access product. What's the name of the product that you're building? Yeah, in, in this case, so we're, uh, yeah, we're a fairly new business. So we were founded in uh, January of 2019. Um, and so the product is, it is Twingate, same name as the company. Um, and what we're really focused on is you know, making uh, make it really easy for companies to adopt zero trust. Um, so I'd love to talk more about that. So Alex, we are podcast about architecture. And we, of course, want to ask questions about architecture. We do interested about the name. Maybe you can tell us a bit about the name before you move to architecture. But in general, we want to understand how you guys build, how you guys design. We're guessing you in the cloud somewhere how many popes you have, or maybe design a bit differently. How do you route the traffic? So the, the name is actually very closely tied to the, to the architecture. And so this actually might be a great opportunity to actually pull up an architecture slide and we can talk about that. But the general concept is that Twingate refers to there are two points in our architecture where we're actually checking whether a user is in fact authorized to access protected resources. So we do it once, as you'll see in the slide in a second, at the client application, which runs on the user's endpoint, uh, could be you know, Mac, Windows, iOS, Android, Linux, anything. Um, and then we do an extra additional check at uh, in this component we call our connector, which runs on the actual remote network that the user is connecting to. Um, so that's that's sort of where the name the name comes from. And uh, as you know, it's very hard to come up with a name, so we're actually pretty happy with this one. <laughs> um, so let me, yeah, should I show you the um, the architecture? I yes. think that's a good a good intro for that. Um, we can talk a little about how this works. Um, okay, so, so to talk a little bit more about the architecture, this is a fairly high-level diagram. I've got one more that's, that's a little more detailed. Um, I do think our architecture is fairly unique uh, for, you know, for you guys or for anyone who's watching. If you're familiar with the software-defined perimeter model, um, that's roughly what this follows. Um, so there's three components. I talked about a couple of them earlier. Um, again, the client application runs at the endpoint. Um, and I'll come back and talk about that. But basically, all of the decisions are made at the client as to what's allowed to happen with network traffic, um, which is pretty different about the way Twingate works. Um, the second component is in that sort of like, uh, sort of hidden sort of like dark blue box or Twingate, that is the hosted infrastructure. Um, I'll talk a little more about that in a second, but the idea is that that's where rules are set as to which users and which devices are allowed to access, which resources or destinations and which remote network. Um, and then the third component, um, indicated by sort of like the solid blue boxes is the, or the connectors. Um, the idea behind this diagram is just to show you that the connectors, which um, can be deployed in a number of different ways, can be put, you know, either a Docker container or something like that, or a native sort of Linux system D service. Um, the purpose of this diagram is to show that these can be deployed on any number of networks. Um, doesn't really matter whether it's public cloud or on-prem. Um, and the purpose of Twingate is to give the user based on the network connection they're making, direct access to that remote network via a particular connector. Um, and, and the last thing I'll point out on the, on the connectors is uh, that they actually sit behind the firewall. So in this example, we've got three separate networks. Connectors also behind the firewall, so they're completely invisible uh, to the outside world. Um, and the last component 
is uh, how we actually authenticate. So users um, are identified. So we use like identity-based authentication, right? So based on a third-party identity provider. And so what this really means is at the end of the day, like every single network connection request is identified or tied back to a user's identity. And that's what's being used uh, in part to make a decision about whether the user is allowed to connect. When you say Twingate, is Twingate a cloud, I'm guessing? Yeah, so let me actually like go to the next slide here. So the, the way to think about Twingate is with these three separate components, the, the endpoint install client app is you know an app obviously on the connector side, that's the containers talking about. The part in the middle, which I think what you're asking about, the hosted portion is, is really like, a, you can think about like a globally distributed system. There's really two parts. There's um, again, following the SDP model, there's a controller, which is, is what sets the rules about who's allowed to access what. And then the relay, um, which we can talk a little more about, is really pretty, a very, very lightweight component. And that's what's distributed globally at uh, a bunch of different pops around the world. Um, the way that our architecture is set up um, you know, from sort of an operational standpoint is we've got relays in 12 global locations. And every time we notice that traffic is being routed to a new global location, we'll, we'll launch a new, a new relay. Um, you can think about like a, a new point of presence for, for a new relay. And the controller is located where? In the customer side or also, also in your cloud? Yeah, so the controller is actually also in our cloud. Yeah, and, and one thing that's, that's a little bit different about this, um, you know, if we get an opportunity to talk about this later on, we'll show you the product. The, the controller, as I mentioned, sort of like holds all these rules. And when the users um, or the administrators interact with our products, that admin calls that they're loading is really setting those, those rules in the controller. Um, but what's a little bit different about TwinGate is that none of the sort of live decisions for network connections are actually made um, at the controller. You can think about the controller setting the rules and they get pushed back to the client and to the connector. And so when, a, when, a, when an internet network connection is being initiated on one, of the, on one of the endpoints that's part of the system, that client is actually responsible for making that decision about whether that traffic should continue to, to the remote network. So the controller actually provides P2P connections between the client and the connector. Right. Yeah. So it's it's a little bit. So the controller is just sort of out of the picture. So the controllers. So I can, again, let me run through an example. So let, let's say that um, you know I'm using a Mac laptop and I've been given access to let's say we have this like DB address in AWS. So in the controller, what you'd say you'd say Alex is part of the you know DevOps group, and as part of being the DevOps group, he's entitled to access this internal database on AWS. So the sequence of events is that when I try to access that address our client application actually sees that there's a request coming through for this internal address, which as indicated by the name is a private you know, internal address. And what we do is that the client then initiates a connection through the relay and then onto the connector. And the relay actually really the only purpose it serves is sort of like a, think about like sort of a connection broker to actually get the client in touch with the connector. And from there, we actually set up a single pinned like end-to-end -end TLS connection from the client to the connector where the data travels over. Um, so the relays really just like exist to make sure that the client can connect directly to the connector um, and the controller is really out of the picture at that point. And uh, let's say if we want to disconnect the connection that exists, how would we do that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there's um, two ways that that could happen. And again, this refers back to the sort of like the twin gate name. So one way that could happen is uh, in the admin, let's say in the admin console, we've linked it up to one of the identity providers. You know, we've listed Okta G Suite here as examples, but it might be Azure AD or one login. Um, 
let's say I, I leave the company and my account has been disabled, what will happen immediately at that point is my account gets disabled, controller picks up that change, and it pushes that change to both the client and the connector so that there's two points where it's indicated that my account um, is no longer valid. At that point, the connection actually shuts off. So if I want to browse from Toronto to Australia, would I get to Twingate Cloud and then you guys will relay me to Australia? Are you going to use some kind of backbone? Yeah, so, so at this point, the way that the, the product works um, is, yeah, if you're Toronto going to Australia, um, if the resource is based in Australia, we'll connect you to the, your, your connection would go from your endpoint in Toronto to the nearest relay, which in, in our network would be Sydney. Um, and that traffic at this point actually just goes over the public internet. So we don't, we don't sort of like have like sort of like backbone infrastructure set up. Um, however, one thing that um, uh, we can get to, uh, maybe we have a chance to talk about, you know, some of the tech on the client is that we actually have some low level sort of network transport sort of like traffic control technology um, that allows us to get sort of higher performance over um, either sort of like noisy or like higher latency uh, network connections. Um, and so that operates at the at the transport layer. And what we're doing is we're basically optimizing uh, flow control over that TLS tunnel. So that's all sort of like proprietary. It's protected by the the patents that uh, you know that we hold in the company. Um, so that sort of helps give you that performance over that long distance connection. Um, but the key thing is that we wanted to make sure that we weren't sort of sitting in like the you know the key network path of having the the you know connection from your client from your endpoint to the connector go through some like large geographic distance. We want to make sure that's a direct connection. So this brings us to the question around the license. Is it based on client? Yeah, what we want to do is keep it really, really simple. So the way that we license the product is per user per month. Uh, there are a number of different product tiers. Um, some of those product tiers will introduce limits on the number of you know devices and users. But the general you know principle is if you're a large organization, uh, we want to make sure that you actually use and deploy our product. And so we didn't want to place some like artificial limits based on the number of connectors or, you know, you know groups or users or anything like that. So it's very, very simple, like per user per month. Um, and that fits, by the way, with our like general philosophy, like a lot of like, I think how we've been approaching the problem of like bringing zero trust to companies is that, you know, what we looked at when we were um, actually starting the business is that zero trust is a concept that's been around for a really long time, but it hasn't been widely adopted. And we think that that problem is largely um, around the complexity of some of the products that exist right now. So we try to make everything simple. And I think the pricing like, really reflects that as well. Makes sense. So it means that I can install any amount of controllers I want. Then the only cost from on my side is this virtual machine that I'm creating for the controllers. That's right. Yeah, and and it, exactly. And so the yeah the controller centralized. The connectors can go into as many remote networks as you have, and that's part of like our, our pitch, which is that what we've seen again with existing VPN solutions and with competing solutions is that um, very often people running networks and thinking about network infrastructure and architecture have to modify what they already have in place in order to fit in a remote access solution, right? So we don't think that's the right approach. Like what you should do is like when you're designing your network infrastructure, it's designed it how you think makes sense for your internals, for your product, for your business, and then allow people to connect in there into that network where it's where it's necessary. So that's the idea when the connectors, you put it into subnets and networks where you need them. You're actually virtualizing as the boxes. Yeah, it, it, exactly. That's that's actually a, a really good way to think about it, yes. Do you guys have an idea of like IPsec connectivity from an office or it's usually just a, a client? Um, so are you talking about sort of like a site-to-site type of connection or what, or what do you Yes. Mean? Or usually people just use the client to connect. Yeah. So the 
yeah, it's interesting you bring that up because a lot of customers have sort of come to us, especially, you know, 2020 where everyone's working from home because they're seeing every employee connect back to the office and see the traffic go through their office network and then back out. So this idea of, you know, hairpinning network connections. Um, and so that, that architecture has actually been a trigger for them to talk to us in the first place. Um, Makes sense. So, so yeah, so largely what we're, what we're offering to customers is, you know, no matter where your users are, no matter what endpoint they're using and no matter where the resources are that they're accessing, um, we allow, you know, those, those employees to connect directly to the resource like going through an office connection. You mentioned MFA or single sign-on or user. Can you elaborate more? Who do you guys work with? How do you guys work? Do you do any other checks? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's a number of things that we do um, and there's more that we're working on. So let's give you a quick, quick overview. So from, from the very beginning, we made a, a decision um, that every single network connection should be linked back to the user's identity. And, and that's actually fairly unusual as we found from working with sort of like endpoint protection partners and so on is that it's very common to know the IP address or maybe something about the hardware, but rarely who the user is in the corporate identity system. Um, and so, so that's one thing that we, we started with. And so our integrations have sort of, we sort of like been led by our customers. And so we started with, um, with Okta as an identity provider, we support G Suite, Azure AD, um, one login supports coming very soon. Um, and, you know, from an architectural standpoint, it's pretty easy to press the bolt those on. So that's where we're starting with that. Um, a lot of these identity providers do offer MFA you know, or 2FA solutions. Um, I actually want to show you in the product a little bit later how that works. Um, but one thing that we've realized is that there's such a, a, a varied level of support between the identity providers and what our customers are asking for is more control over when MFA is applied that we're actually going to start implementing some of those, that functionality ourselves. Um, so what we'll have, you know, over the next sort of like couple months here is identity base access, uh, first party sort of 2FA checks, and we already have a bunch of device information and layer that on top of like user sort of network analytics that we're doing. So we, we track every single network connection goes through a product. You layer all that together and you have a, um, a pretty powerful view of like what's going on in your internal network. So at any given moment, you can uh, show us who connected where, what type of protocols, additional information about these connections. Yeah, that, no, that, that's exactly right. So the, you know, and this, and obviously like we're, we just came to market in the last four months. So a lot of this is evolving, but what a customer could do today is go into our admin console and basically get a, a record of like every connection that's made. And, and, and the de- it's actually pretty detailed information because since every network connection that goes to protect a resource goes through connector, that's where we're collecting the data. So we get connection established time when it closed, the device ID, if we have it, you know, IP address, how much data was transferred, what port it was on, what protocol. Um, there's actually quite a lot that we're, we're um, quite a lot of visibility we're providing there. And again, all that gets linked back to their identity. Right? So. Do you have knowledge about uh, the host names and IP addresses when you're looking at existing connections or just IP address and ports? That's right. Okay. Yeah. So, so the, so as far as like network analytics goes, we have, um, what we have is information about what the user actually requested. And so I think it's just like, I want to show one last slide here on, on what we're doing. Cause I think it's, it's again, a little unique and will give you more context on that question. So on the client, which I sort of, if we zoom in on this, there's actually a lot going on under the hood. So I talked about how all the decision-making is happening there. Um, the way to think about us is that we're actually really a, a transparent forward proxy system. And so when we see a network connection request, so in my earlier example, I was talking about this sort of internal DNS name, um, but to answer your question, whether the user uses an internal DNS name 
or an IP address, both of which can be private to that network and non-routable from the device without TwinGate. What we do is we look at we look at everything that happens at layer four, and if we see a connection request that something should be protected, we actually pass it through one of these transparent proxies. And so because we support like TCP, UDP, and there's DNS in there for, for different reasons, we actually don't care what the protocol is, the underlying protocol is, we just forward all that traffic through. Um, and so what we end up logging from an analytics standpoint is whatever the, the user requested. So if they use an IP address, we'll show that they request an IP address coming through that connector, going through, let's say the TCP proxy, TCP proxy, and then we'll show whether that IP address actually resolved and there was a connection there, right? But if they use DNS, we'll show that. So it sort of depends like what the, what the users, what type of connection they're um, initiating and what address they're using. Is there a mandatory client application that you need to install or there is also a clientless option? Yeah, so right right now, and that's like, so we got the client slide up here. So right now um, we've made sort of like a product decision to support a client required option. Um, and um, that, that doesn't mean that we won't support and certainly like agentless option or clientless option in the future. Um, but the, I think the reason that we decided to do this is actually pretty important. Um, so I think earlier I was describing this sort of like a network overlay is the biggest problem that we've seen again with zero trust is like adoption doesn't happen. And so a product decision we made really early on around this is that a big part of adoption is you can have a great product, but if it's hard to go through the change management process internally, people aren't actually gonna use it. So the reason the client option works really well is again, because of these transparent proxies, we support any protocol. And a lot of the problems that we've seen around adoption are that people use you know, browser-based applications, things work great because it's two, it's two possible ports. Um, maybe they'll use it, you know, maybe they'll be support for SSH, fine. But what starts getting really complicated is, let's say you're using a salesforce.com plugin in Gmail, which is using, you know, API endpoints uh, that are Salesforce in the background where there's no way to actually authenticate the user, it becomes really problematic. And so we think that there is a benefit here to having an agent which sits at the, really at the OS level, like scanning all outbound network connection requests. And if there's a match, regardless of the source, to then process that connection as needed based on the user's um, authorization. So we think that this is like broadly a more, um, more sort of inclusive option that will allow you to put Twingate in and then not really think about it again. And we think that that's super, super important. And so in the future, we could easily adopt this to clientless option, but then the options for supporting protocols become more and more complicated. So we think that this is the right, right decision on how to start. Um, and really none of our customers have, have any complaints at all about installing an agent. Alex, I see UDP, TCP, DNS on, on the slide. Mm -hmm. So tell me more about the protocols you guys support. Do mm -hmm. you do VoIP? Can you do password reset? Can I print? Can I do file share? Yeah, absolutely. So so again, the, um, because we're operating at, at layer four, it, we really don't care. And so um, there's actually a proxy. I don't even, I didn't, we didn't even put on the slide here. Uh, we actually support NetBIOS as well, which has its own sort of peculiarities. But, you know, TCP captures like the vast majority of what people are doing. But to your example on VoIP or um, like a Zoom call that we're on right now, for example, um, UDP would cover that. So what we're, what we're looking at is not, is it SSH? Is it web? Is it RDP? We actually don't care because we're operating one layer below that. And so what we really are really focused on is like, we want the experience of the customer to be, I install TwinGate and then everything works exactly like it worked before, whether I was on the local network or whether I was, you know, accessing remotely using VPN. Um, and we have had customers try this out and they say that they can use, they can print in the local 
office printer from their house. I don't know how they pick up the, the printout, but but all of that is supported. Um, and, and DNS is an interesting one. It, it, it seems fairly simple, but as particularly in Windows environments around the complexity of like D, of um, Windows domain joins, where there's some peculiar sort of DNS queries are used, like all of that works uh, works seamlessly with with this uh, agent running on the on the endpoint. I have a question around that. Uh, can you explain what happens in case of malware that's landing on a device and trying to communicate over already authenticated client or connection? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, I, I think you know. I think for that for that use case, I think there's like there's really only a couple answers. Like number one is you have to prevent malware from landing on the endpoint in the first place. Um, if it's undetected from the standpoint of malware lands on the endpoint. The next thing is how is it possible to detect changes in, in network traffic that are happening? So sort of like based on like, you know, uh, you know, analytics data, something like that. Um, so I think our, our answer, I wanna give you a quick anecdote from a customer, but I think our answer today um, is that we don't directly protect against that. However, we what we would encourage is just like anybody else deploying security on, on the enterprise, like, yeah, we work alongside anything you have deployed. And so a lot of our customers do use endpoint agents that work alongside TwinGate. Um, the the yeah, one, one example I wanted to give you is um, we had a customer, um, they moved from using, you know, five or six different open VPN gateways to like a single TwinGate deployment. And they emailed us and they said, um, when we're seeing a whole bunch of connections to MongoDB, um, what can we do about this? Because it doesn't seem like it's coming from any kind of user. And so they pulled up the network analytics and they saw that there's actually nothing coming through TwinGate, which at least let them narrow it down to some other issue that they had with their internal network configuration. So it's not a malware example, but it is an example where like being able to see that and respond to it um, is important. So the visibility helps them to identify such anomalies and yeah, exactly. uh, you mentioned that you you encourage customers to install some type of antivirus or EDR solution to prevent malware landing on the device. Do you have any posture check in your solution that mm -hmm. verifies that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we're today our posture check is fairly basic. It's it's actually uh, on our immediate roadmap in the next two or three months to to sort of bolster that. Um, the level of check that we're doing right now is really limited to sort of like high level device characteristics, you know, what platform are you running on, um, th things like that. Um, what we want to do is, is really get, is sort of feed information back um, that we're getting, you know, since we have that, that, that sort of like um, footprint on the endpoint is feed that information back in the system so we can make decisions around that. Um, and one of the, the sort of like product design challenges has been like, how do you do that in a way that's fairly easy to configure and understand? Um, and so I think we're we're probably a few months away from having something to market that we're actually pretty excited about um, that would give you a fairly easy way to manage that. But I think, you know, I totally acknowledge, I think that, you know, to f have a fully sort of like built out solution for any company, like part of that is, is making decisions based on the device. Um, the last thing I'll say on that is we've had a lot of, um, sort of customer input on doing the integration with an existing EDR solution. And so there's, there's you know, sort of partnerships that we're investigating around that to pull data directly from that EDR solution, which might give some like score or other detailed data that we can use in making a decision. And the nice thing is that if our, our agent or our client can communicate with their agent on the device, you actually don't have to do anything. How your solution behaves in two cases. One of the cases when I have really, really slow network, and I still want to connect my model to my work and be able to. And the second, 
condition is when I'm roaming between networks? Um, yeah, so on the, I'll answer the second question first on sort of maintaining sessions. So that specific scenario you're talking about is very common, right? So SSH is, it can be really painful. Um, you know, one of our customers actually introduced us to a different client, which avoids that issue. So I'd recommend that. But um, but the, the terms of how the underlying tech works, um, it is going to depend a little bit on the tolerance of the protocol. Um, what we've done in in sort of our in our testing is we wanted to make sure that if there are any sort of like any sort of like small interruptions in, in service. So basically anything up to and I, I forgot off the top of my head the exact time frame, but sort of like short interruptions um, won't be noticed by the client. And and the way that this works is. That if you if you look at what's happening at a network level, is that that SSH client you're running doesn't know it, but it's connected to that proxy on the local device. And so because the client application doesn't see any interruption in the network connection, and we're managing the network connection after that, as long as it doesn't time out for too long, triggering SSH to to you know fault basically, then we're going to reestablish a connection on a network change, and the connection should should continue uninterrupted. Um, so that's sort of like the benefit of that transparent proxy is that the client is sort of insulated, the client application is insulated from, from some of those changes. Um, and I can, I'll actually, I wanna show you a demo here really quickly on, uh, on SSH. Um, to answer your first question on speed, um, the, um, the sort of the uh, ancestry, I guess, of the, of, the, of the patents that are part of Twingate actually come from um, a sort of consumer basis. And so this, the tech, and as we call it, it's called Hydra, um, which is sort of an internal name. But but the idea is that the Hydra is the fact that we actually maintain eight sort of multiplexed concurrent TCP channels. And what we, we do is that on a per network connection basis is that we actually manage traffic flow. And so um, as I'm sure many of your sort of like viewers will, will know, one of the issues of TCP is that out of the box, if there's one packet dropped, that the bandwidth on the sort of like the, the packet flow rate is dropped by 50% and then it's ramped back up. Right, and so that the, this hydro technology, what it does is it, it, it basically takes um, a more um, more intelligent approach to managing flow of packets. And because it comes from this sort of like consumer background, it's been deployed on like hundreds of millions of consumer devices for consumer sort of situation. Um, it's been battle tested through you know like crappy Wi-Fi and you know mobile you know mobile networks and all that kind of stuff. And so it's just like really really solid sort of like underlying layer. Um, so but but really just manage that packet flow. Um, makes a big difference. Um, the last anecdote I'll share is that um, customer of ours actually uh, trialed our product against a very well-known CDN and they got higher performance through our products than they did through the CDN. Um, so I think it's just like a good testament to the, the, the Alex, control. Do the you guys use any particular protocol, SSL or anything else for, for the communication? Um, what we're what we're doing so from the, the client through the connector that is just a regular old you know TLS you know TLS tunnel, um, but then what we do is that we we control the flow the sort of packet flow control through that tunnel. So encryption standard, all that stuff is standard, and really what we're tweaking is like how do you pass packets through the system? Um, and because you know the other thing is again if you look at like traditional VPN, it's one pipe. Okay, so through that one pipe, I might connect to lots of different destinations and have different packet loss at those different destinations for whatever reason. But because it's one pipe, I get one packet loss, we drop the, the flow rate on all of them. So this allows us to look connection by connection and adjust based on the quality of flow rate to, to each destination. Around reporting, uh, we ask you about what you can see. I'm wondering what kind of reports or behavior you can provide to the customer. Maybe you're doing something potential dangerous. You can maybe change his risk or say that Evgeny is doing something dangerous with Dimitri. 
Are, are you or, or Dimitri more likely to do something dangerous? <laughs> for sure, for sure. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> it's easy, right? Um, no, so I think I think the the route is I think we have. I mean, how would I how would I look at this? I mean, we're again we're an early product. Again, we went to market within the last six months. Um, we don't have anything that's sort of like fully built out and automated around that. We're focusing on. I think what we're really hearing for customers at, at at you know the bar is a lot of ways like pretty low because of what existing VPN solutions are like. Um, and that's largely what we're replacing, um, is really any kind of visibility is great. And then I think like a, a bonus is being able to give the customer some kind of insight based on that visibility. Um, so, it, you know, that's something we're, we are very focused on. I think one thing we're very aware of um, internally as a, as a product engineering team is it's really easy to give a lot of false positives and then basically have to have the customer switch off the future. Um, but that is something that for 2021 that we want to um, invest a lot of time in is, is providing like high quality alerting on suspicious activity. So as an example, if I'm an accountant and I'm trying to open the connection to Git repo, that's something that would be triggered as alerts and you would be able to know it. Yeah. Yeah. So actually, actually in that example, and, and this is why it's, um, it's quite different to sort of existing solutions is, um, if you are, yeah, if you're in accounting and you don't have access to, let's say, the self-hosted GitHub repos, you're saying uh, that connection will never even leave your device, right? So, so we might want to alert on it to say that you know, someone's trying to do it, but at least we stop we stop any of that behavior at the device. And so, if you think about the sort of implications for security, what you're doing is you're narrowing down what you need to focus on to the people that are highest risk. And so, if you're, you know, Bob in accounting and you have access to whatever it is, you know, NetSuite or something, and that's it you know what that risk is. But if you're a high level, um, you know, DevOps engineer and you have access to the entire production environment, then maybe you actually want to focus your security uh, efforts on making sure that, that that person's device or devices are secured, right? So it lets you sort of like focus your efforts a bit more internally. We're kind of done with the official part of the show. I know you wanted to show us a demo. So we will want to see what do you want to provide and maybe you can ask a bit more, more questions. Yeah, so I, I think it'll just take like three minutes. And I, I think one thing I want to like get across is the fact that this agent runs in the background. It's it's transparent to the user. It just sort of like show you what that looks like in the real world. I know you wanted to show us a demo. While you're showing us a demo, can you please explain why you guys made the decision to put the brain on the agent and not in the cloud part? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, I think that the real reason for that is if you look at sort of how things have evolved, you know, historically, um, you've got, so from a general architecture standpoint, you used to have people in an office, servers in an office, devices in an office, everything is in one place. And gradually things have sort of become spread out to the point where nobody's in an office, the resources are anywhere but the office, but somehow a lot of the firewall technology is still in the office. It doesn't, doesn't really make sense. And so what we've seen sort of evolution, evolutionary standpoint is Cisco put a bunch of routers and you know, hardware in people's offices. Then you had a bunch of other sort of new crop of companies come along that basically said, well, let's take that hardware and put it in the cloud and then just route all your traffic through the cloud. And that was an improvement from just like a general management operational standpoint, but it does introduce a lot of latency. And so what we believe is the right thing is actually, why don't we take that tech and actually move it back onto the endpoint? And now you can make decisions instantly. You don't have to pass all your traffic through a central system. Um, and that's and that's actually really key. So one, one of the big reasons that customers who should talk to us is that Zoom is, is, a, is a huge problem. Everyone's on Zoom, that traffic goes through the office network. What we do on, on the TwinGate client, as you'll see in a second when I connect, is that 
that traffic never goes through TwinGate. It actually just keeps going over the public internet and we only take the traffic that's going to private destinations. So that's really like why we decided to, to take that approach. Um, it's uh, so, yeah. split down by default. Yeah, it's sort of like splits on by default, but sort of like a pretty nuanced one. So on, on, that, on that subject, like what you're seeing here in the admin console is, um, you know, this is a list of resources or a list of destinations that would go over that, that split tunnel, if you will. And they're organized logically into these remote networks. And so the implication is that if I access one of these seven resources in Google Cloud, my traffic will automatically go to the connector in Google Cloud. But if I try and access something in Azure, AWS, my traffic will go to those destinations. So it's sort of, you know, you've got, you've got something more sophisticated split tunnel to one VPN gateway. You've got a, you know, sort of like we're talking about earlier, so it's basically a software-defined network, right? So you've got traffic being routed to destinations based on, uh, based on address, address and identity. So um, I don't want to spend too much time on the admin console, but um, just to show you how, what, what this sort of looks like, we set up our Google Cloud remote network. We've got a, a set of resources here, and they're just addresses. They, you can use CIDR ranges if you want to, IPs, wildcards. We're very flexible. Um, and just to show you what the connector deployment looks like, we've, we've made this super, as super easy as we can. Um, Docker is sort of the default option. We give you one line to run, you run that, connector is deployed, and customers can literally set this up in 10 minutes, right? So um, it's, we've made it as easy as we possibly can make it. Um, well, um, so we'll, we'll start with a web resource, and with this web resource, like this address is a private address, so no one can access it unless they're connected to TwinGate. So what I'm going to do is actually connect to TwinGate. And when I hit connect in a second here, you'll see a window pop up and a, an Okta login. Um, that will establish my identity and connect me to the network. So let me do that now. Okay, so I'm now connected to TwinGate. So now from here on, only traffic going to like private addresses actually goes through through the TwinGate network. Um, I didn't have to log in again because I actually was already logged in to the TwinGate, TwinGate admin console. So now if I go back to the... Uh, the web here, I hit refresh, this address will resolve through our proxies and this sort of demo page loads, just a web server page. So that just shows like the, the fact that everything's private. Um, to show you what SSH works, how SSH works, let me load up this. Um, similar concept, I'm actually just gonna SSH into this private address, dot, dot .int. Um, I've been given access to it, but there's been a policy set that forces me to go through a 2FA check. So what we're really doing here is because we act at this low sort of layer four level, we can say, even though you're doing SSH connection, even though SSH knows nothing about Okta or 2FA, we can put a 2FA check on top of this. So I'm gonna hit enter. And this connection is paused while I am asked to go re-authenticate myself. So this happens again, another window here, I'll pull this over. Um, and what you'll see is that I have to enter a, a two-factor code. And while I'm doing this, that connection, as far as the SSH client is concerned, has been held, right? So it doesn't know that it's actually just waiting for TwinGate to respond. So once I've, I've passed 2FA and I've proven that I can pass a 2FA check, we'll redirect back to TwinGate and then you'll see that this connection gets released. So, so I think this sort of shows how we operate at that, that lower level. I'm wondering, what if a customer using some kind of a web gateway to block Facebook or whatever they use for URL filtering? How do we work together with your solution? Mm -hmm. it, it depends on what type of solution that they're they're using. Um, if they're using um, a DNS-based solution, we, we 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 do is the first thing we check is do we care about the destination address? We don't do any lookups yet. So in this case, do we care about this this you know this address here? If we do, we pass it through TwinGate. Otherwise, we ignore it. So it goes out via the default gateway, and so a default gateway and DNS resolver, by the way. 
So if the gateway sends you through that web filtering product, it'll still do that. If if the DNS resolver is a DNS filtering product, then it'll get DNS filtered as well. So there could be situations where that doesn't work, and that's an area where we want to improve integrations. But generally, it should do whatever it did before if the traffic is not going to return gate. Yeah. So um, yeah. So that sort of like shows you the demo, and then once I'm connected here, I don't need to sort of re-authenticate myself every time because there's a lifetime to that that authentication. Uh, very interesting. Thank you very much. We're going to ask you for more information to link to white paper and POC. But it was a pleasure to have you on the show. Fantastic. Well, yeah. And, and for anybody watching, it's um, really easy to get set up. Just go to the website, twingate.com. But uh, thanks uh, very much for your time, guys. Please remember to subscribe to our podcast and join us for our next episode.